Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We're so glad that you're listening in. As God's people, we are concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about the church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org, and please subscribe to always get the next podcast. Have you ever heard the story of a mother who wanted to teach her daughter a moral lesson? She gave the little girl a quarter and a dollar for church. Put whichever one you want into the collection plate and keep the other for yourself, she told the girl. When they were coming out of church, the mother asked her daughter which amount she had given. Well, said the little girl, I was going to give the dollar, but just before the collection... The man in the pulpit said that we should be cheerful givers, and I knew I'd be a lot more cheerful if I gave the quarter, so I did. Children are wonderful. They approach life with wonder and endless curiosity and a frankness that can be quite refreshing. It's no wonder that Jesus asks us to be like children when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to being his disciples. We're to be like children. Jesus tells us that to enter the kingdom of God, we must be like a child and receive others who are like children. Our text today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. And it begins like this. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on them and blessed them. This is a story I could remember from my childhood, perhaps because as a child, I could put myself into the story. It was well and good as a little boy to hear about Samson and Moses and Samuel. But here was a story where Jesus talked about children. Jesus welcomed children. Jesus embraced children and loved them and blessed them. And it told me that church wasn't just a place that you had to be quiet or behaved and well-dressed. This story told me that church was a place for children. Well, now I am grown. I'm an adult. And I've learned that those who are Christians are themselves to be like children. If they're going to be disciples, we have to be have a childlike faith, regardless of our age. But like most of what Jesus teaches us, it is more challenging than we realize to have a childlike faith. It's easier said than done. It's easier to read those words than to really understand what they mean. Well, I want to clarify something right off the beginning. There's a difference between childlike and childish. A mother ran into the bedroom where she heard her seven-year-old son screaming and she found his two-year-old sister pulling his hair. Gently, she released the little girl's grip and said uh, comfortingly to the boy, There, there. She didn't mean it. She doesn't know that it hurts. And he nodded his head in acknowledgement, and she left the room. As she started down the hallway, the little girl screamed. Rushing back in, she asked, What happened? And the little boy replied, She knows now. I'm not sure that it is the childlike be- that that story there is the childlike behavior that we are supposed to exhibit. There's a difference between childlike and childish. 
we should not want to imitate the impatience of a child or other attributes like sulkiness or stubbornness or thanklessness or selfishness. And in fact, those aren't necessarily behaviors that only child children show. In fact, when those behaviors are not rooted out of a child and they are now shown in adults, they become very ugly, don't they? I don't want to overly romanticize children. As wonderful as they are, and as much as Jesus uses them as an example for discipleship, children are not perfect. They're like anyone else. They have sin in their lives, and they are capable of bad behavior. So let's be clear about that. It's a very sad sight to see an adult acting childish in all the worst ways. Adults in shouting matches, adults showing off, unable to show any sort of control or discernment. It's an unnerving experience when you see adults acting that way. But Jesus tells us that to be his disciples, we must be childlike. And here is at least some of what I believe he means. There are some childlike qualities that we are to have. Not childish, but childlike. And so I want to take a quick look here at five qualities of a child that disciples would do well to imitate. And the first one you might not have thought of, and that is that children are youthful. They're young, both in body and at heart. And this is something we need to notice and fight for with all that we have in us. I know that we can't stay young. I haven't figured that out yet. I'll be great when we figure it out. But now I haven't done it yet. We're all going to get older. We're all going to grow. We all age. And eventually, one day, we're going to wake up and discover we're old. And there's something lost in that aging process that we must be wary of. There was a photographer who was snapping pictures of first graders at an elementary school, and he was making small talk to put his subjects at ease, because, you know, it's hard sometimes to get first graders uh, to sit down and want to smile in front of a camera. And he looked at a little girl and he said, what are you going to be when you grow up? And the little girl responded, tired. I'm pretty sure she heard a lot of adults say that before. There's a youthfulness in children that we lose as we grow that is very unfortunate. We need to fight for that. G.K. Chesterton writes about this need to stay youthful, to capture it and to hang on to it. A childlike faith can be described in it. And so he writes about it this way. And you may not agree with everything that Chesterton writes, but I think there's something to his words that we need to pay attention to. And he writes this. Because children have an abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want to do things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For the grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all the daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has an eternal appetite for infancy. And here's the the line from G.K. Chesterton that I think we need to pay attention to. He writes... For we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we.
Now, we know that God is eternal, so G.K. Chesterton isn't saying that God is a baby, but he is pointing out that our sin ages us in a way that we lose the wonder in the world. And I, I can understand if you might be uncomfortable with calling God childlike the way Chesterton does, but he's making a good point. That sin makes us grow old. Sin made aging an issue. And so that we, well, we harden. We tire. We get tired of the monotony of things. I think we often confuse maturing with growing old. We need to hang on to youthful wonder. It's important. Albert Einstein wrote this, If you want your children to be intelligent, read them fairy tales. If you want them to be more intelligent... Read them more fairy tales. There's something about the wonder of childhood that we need to hang on to. If you find yourself unable to find wonder and joy in life, invite Jesus to refresh you, to soften your heart to the wonders that God has placed around you, to youthen your soul again. A second characteristic of child of being like a child that I think we should pay attention to is the trust that a child has. William Barclay talks about the trust of a child. He describes it in two dimensions. He says, first, a child trusts the authority of their parents. There is a time in youth where mom and dad seem to know everything and they can fix every problem. And during that time, a child's trust is almost boundless. It's not blind, but rather the child sees clearly the gap between their own ability and the knowledge of their parents. As a child ages and some of you know this, that gap shrinks until they reach their teenage years when all children suddenly realize that they know far more than their parents ever knew and their parents have only ever existed to constrain them and get in their way and tell them no. I mean, if you have had teenagers, you know how as children grow up, that gap between them and their parents shrink. I'm joking here if you know this, but teenagers see it this way. It's funny what happens when we let that gap shrink and the trust dissolves. Nora Ephron writes these words, When your children are teenagers, it's important to have a dog so that someone in the house is happy to see you. Okay, so maybe I'm making some jokes here. Maybe they're not flying too well. But you know what? I think we do the same thing with God. As we grow up, As we move from being children to adults, we start to go, you know what? I've been around the block. I know a thing or two as well, God. What's happening to me is not fair. I don't think you know what you're talking about, God. I I think that your ways of thinking are out of date. You're, You're old and out of style. We start talking like a teenager to God. We start rising above our station, and we have forgotten the gap between us and God. That's one that children know all too well. Our little children, they know the gap between themselves and the adults. The adults seem to know more, have more ability, are wise. We forget that. And that's a dangerous place to be. Because when that gap shrinks and we let it shrink, we stop trusting God. You know, the book of Job speaks about this. Job is a man that has suffered intensely. And he's never given a reason why. And to us, it might even look like God was just allowed, has just allowed some sort of strange test to happen, and it doesn't make sense. It's beyond comprehension. And it's that lack of a reason, a why, to suffering that causes us to say to God, 
I think you might have this wrong, and I think I might know better than you. You hear that gap shrinking? The trust evaporates. And in Job, God reminds Job about the immense gap that exists between Job's understanding and God's understanding. It begins in Job 38, and I'll just read a few verses, just the first four there. It says this, Then God spoke to God, then the Lord spoke, I stumbled over my words, let me start over again. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, and he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? Who is it that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man and I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. God continues like this, saying, where were you? Did you know? Did you see? Can you do this too? And he's basically saying, look what I did. And have you done these things, Job? The difference between me and you is vast. We forget that about God because we stop trusting. God continues in the book of Job like this for another 129 verses, highlighting how powerful and awesome and majestic he is and how much Job doesn't really know. Childlike faith, childlike trust occurs when we realize that the gap between us and God is much bigger than we perceived. It's a gap of holiness and power and authority and knowledge. It's a gap that asks us to trust him more than ourselves. Will you have a childlike faith that trusts in the Lord? Third quality is the quality of dependence. A child must depend upon their parent. The parent has legal authority over them. The parent or guardian has the ability to provide for the child, what the child cannot provide for themselves. We do not ask infants to provide their own food or shelter or even work a productive career for society. It would be absurd to do so. A child cannot do these things. In the same way, we are to be dependent upon God. Or at least we should be willing to put aside our own independence to truly receive from God. The simple truth is this. Children are better at receiving gifts than adults are. I mean, I know adults that can get gifts. I like to get presents in the holidays, but adults like to earn what they get. They feel like it is improper to receive an undeserved gift. You know what? There's no greater gift that you can receive than the gift of salvation. But salvation does require a childlike dependence on the strength and power and saving grace of God. Fourth quality is frankness. Charles Swindoll was once visiting a Sunday school classroom, and when he entered, he said, What's green and says ribbit? And a little boy frowned and then appeared thoughtful, and he said, Well, and he said it with some hesitation. He said, Well, I think it's a frog, but I'm going to say Jesus. And Chuck was puzzled, and he said, why would you say that? Well, because we're in Sunday school, the little boy said, and that's all we ever talk about here, Jesus and God. (laughs) The frankness of children is refreshing, if not a little bit unnerving at times. Children will show us all the ways that we are inconsistent, and they'll show us all the things that we are a little bit more, uh, they'll show us the things that are very plain in front of us that maybe we don't talk about. That's all we ever talk about here, Jesus and God. They will tell us flat out when something bothers them or if they don't like something. (laughs) 
It's funny what a child will say about food that's cooked that they don't like. You know, you may work hard on it and they'll tell you, I didn't like that. At some point as we grow up, we lose that frankness in exchange for what we call politeness. And then somewhere along the line, everyone stops saying what they really mean so they don't cause waves. I'm not saying we need to be blunt with one another, but the frankness of a child is freeing to really truly say what you mean so that people understand you. A fifth quality of children is they're forgiving. William Barclay puts it simply, children have not yet learned how to hold a grudge or nourish bitterness. As we grow old, we harden up. We face enough disappointment and hurt that we'd rather hold others at a distance than to be hurt again. But in doing so, we imprison others and ourselves in broken relationships. Richard Rohr says this, If you do not transform your pain, you will surely transmit it. John Irving says this, The man who refuses to forgive destroys the bridge over which he himself must cross. Matthew 6.15 says, and it's a warning we need to hear, But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Boy, scriptures like that are uncomfortable. We often tiptoe around them. Having faith like a child lets us face into those scriptures a little more directly, and in this case, to practice the practice of forgiveness that God asks for. So these are a few characteristics of childlikeness that a disciple should display. When we practice these, we shall deepen in our walk with God. Henry Ward Beecher says this, Children are the hands by which we take hold of heaven. And I think maybe that's a little bit of what Jesus wanted us to do when he told us to receive the kingdom of God like a child. But there's something more happening in Jesus' words about children. And we would not be very honest about the text if we left it only to imitating some characteristics of childlike faith. And so we need to talk about something else. There's another aspect of being like a child that we must comprehend, and it's very difficult for us because our culture has romanticized children with how wonderful and lovely they are. One of the greatest privileges of life is to care for children. I, I take great pride in my son. I, just, I love him so dearly, so I understand that. Whether we have children or not, we all cross paths with them and share moments of life with them and will hopefully bless them. But children were not seen in the same way in the first century. Children were seen as the least valuable person in society. They were viewed as untrustworthy, as troublemakers, and a drain on the community. While very young, children added nothing to the family economy. They were just too little to help out around the house. They added nothing to the family honor, and they simply didn't count. Literally, because of child mortality rates, infant mortality rates, and young child mortality rates, they didn't count them. Gary Thomas describes it this way. In the first century, children enjoyed little esteem and virtually no respect. While families appreciated their own children, society merely tolerated them. The very language of the day reveals this first century prejudice. One Greek word for child, which is paideon, 
also can mean servant or slave. Yet another, nepos, carries connotations of inexperience, foolishness, and helplessness. Greek philosophers regularly chided a stupid or foolish man by calling him a nepos. Indeed, even biblical writers admonish Christians to stop thinking like a child, paideia. You can find that in 1 Corinthians 14.20. Imagine then the people's astonishment when Jesus brings a troublesome, noisy child and places him in front of the crowd. With his hand on the lad's shoulder, Jesus has the audacity to suggest that this small tyke provides an example to be followed. So if we're honest about the text... And we're honest about how the ancient world viewed children. We would have to say that to be like a child is to forego status and accept the lowest place in society. And so to be a disciple is to forego status and accept the lowest place in society. And this is hard for us. We don't like giving up power. We don't like giving up self-determination. We don't want others to walk all over us or to exert undue authority over us. And yet Jesus says we cannot enter heaven without being like a child. Have you ever had a moment where you got your way by flexing your authority or power or experience? You talked about who you were and you, you just got your way? How ugly the moment is when people force their will. In that moment, they're not showing childlike faith or being a childlike disciple. Pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick but the one who has it. Those are words for us to think upon when it comes to having childlike faith. Just a few verses before our text today, if we go back to Mark chapter 9, and we look at verse 35, Jesus tells us this. It says, sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and a servant of all. And having childlike faith means that we take those words of Jesus seriously. We willingly become the least in our world. Fortunately, Jesus is asking us to do something he has already done himself. Jesus, God's son, came down from the throne of heaven and he gave his life for us on the cross. That was coming from a place of power to a place of humbleness. We can lower ourselves too. But there's something else going on here in the text. It's important for us to realize what's happening in the story. Parents are bringing their children to Jesus. They want Jesus to bless them. And the disciples, out of concern for Jesus, are turning them away. They're preventing the children from being brought to Jesus. And this is a big problem. And the text tells us that Jesus is indignant with the disciples. Why on earth would he be so frustrated with the disciples? It's because of this. The disciples have taken it upon themselves. They have taken upon themselves the authority and power to decide who gets to be close to Jesus. They presume themselves to be the guardians of Jesus. They're the gatekeepers. They are deciding who is worthy enough of Jesus' time. They're deciding who was welcome and who was not. You know what? Sometimes we do this too. I have heard over and over again how we must beat back the sin of this world and guard against degrading morality. And, and you're right, we, we need to make sure that we live lives that are holy. There's truth in that thinking, that we are not to join into immorality. We're not to call sin okay. But 
Neither are we to keep people away from God because they seem unworthy or unholy. God does not need us to defend him. He can take care of himself. The disciples were trying to be gatekeepers of Jesus, and often Christians try to be the gatekeepers of God, who's worthy of being in church, who's worthy of being in worship, who's worthy, and we try to decide, well, that person's got a lot of problems, they shouldn't be here. We're not to do that. That's a problem. Let's back up a moment and go to Mark again, chapter 9. We read verse 35 about being least and greatest. If you go just two more verses to verse 36 and 37, there's something that really should catch our attention. Jesus says, it reads like this, He took a little child whom he placed among them, the disciples that is, and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Jesus tells his disciples in Mark chapter 9 that whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Remember, children of the least. They were seen by society as little problems walking around. And whoever welcomes the problem child, the unwelcome, the unlovable, the untouchable, they welcome Jesus. The disciples were told to welcome children. And yet somehow, by the time you get to Mark chapter 10, that's not that far ahead, just around the corner, Mark chapter 10, they get the opportunity to welcome children to Jesus. And what do they do? They turn them away. Ah, they mess it up. They do what so many of us do. They gatekeep Jesus. They guard Jesus. They, they become the deciders of who's worthy and they mess it up. This sort of teaching is all through the Gospels about welcoming the unwelcome. You find it in Matthew chapter 25. There's a larger story. We won't read it today. Uh, It's Matthew 25, 31 through 45. It's a story about sheep and goats. A story about who is in and who is out of heaven. And the short of it is, you don't want to be a goat. You want to be a sheep. But in the climax of the story, the sheep are told what they did right. And it reads like this in Matthew 25, 35 through 36. It says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Now, hearing this, the people who are called the sheep, the listeners, the ones who have done the right things, they're perplexed. They're confused. They, they don't think they've ever done these things for the one telling them, the king. And they ask him, when did we ever do this for you? And he responds in verse 40 and says, the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus consistently teaches and models a posture of kindness and compassion and love and welcome to the most unwelcome of people. He's asking us to have faith like a child. But he's also telling us to welcome with open arms those who are the least in our world. We run the risk of being like the disciples in our story, gatekeepers of Christianity. We shouldn't do that. We should really be those who welcome those who feel like they're beyond love, untouchable. Will you do this? Let's pray.
Father God, help us to be like children, not childish, but trusting you and obeying you, filled with evergreen wonder at your blessings. And Lord, help us to welcome the least among us as though they're the greatest. Help us to show others how precious they are to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.